Welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice Podcast. My name is Ralph Cree. In this episode, I talk to Shahan Kamzazadeh for the second time about psilocybin mushrooms. He's written a, a fantastic book on the subject, psilocybin mushrooms, also known as magic mushrooms. And in our first conversation, we talked uh, mainly about what to do with preparation for a psilocybin experience and also what to do during the experience. But we didn't really fully explore what to do after the experience, what's often called the integration period. Um, so this entire episode you're going to listen to now is entirely about the integration period, what to do after you've had the experience. Uh, and this has become a really popular topic to explore. Um, and it's all about how to basically walk the talk of what you've experienced. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. Jahan Kamsizade, welcome back to the Evolving Spiritual Practices podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here, Ralph. Thanks. Yeah. Excellent. So this is this is kind of like an appendix to our previous conversation. So we did a, one a while back about psilocybin mushrooms. Um, and when I was editing it and then uploaded it, I kind of felt like there was part of the subject we hadn't quite done justice to, which is what's commonly known as integration, uh, which is a kind of fancy word to say, meaning what do you do after you've had this experience? Um, oh. And um, it's something that's very, is a very popular topic in the world of psychedelics at the moment. And, uh, you know, I've been listening to several podcasts and things in preparation for this. And quite often I found people say this is an episode about integration, but they don't mm. quite talk about what actually it is. Um, so mm. I think in a way, it's a subject which is a little bit unformed in the country right. perhaps you know it hasn't right. quite been tied down because we've been living with the kind of um importance of what was called set and setting in terms of you know your mindset who you're with the actual setting you're doing it in those kind of things and that's old school mm. protocol dating yeah. back to timothy leary and people like that but this integration part of it is is something that's kind of emerged you know, as far as I've been aware, in the last kind of 20 years or, or that kind of thing, maybe even the last. Yeah. Um, and um, wanted to, to, you know, explore that topic with you as you've done um, all of the training you have um, in mm-hmm. psych- psychedelics therapist in a traditional sense. And I encourage mm-hmm. people to refer back to our previous conversation and yeah. get the background of this because you've done tons of training in the traditional context and also kind of more mm-hmm. psychotherapeutic one. So yeah. that's my kind of yeah. setting the teeing up the conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, and just in case people aren't going to refer back for the intense listener, um, I got my doctorate in the philosophy cosmology consciousness program at the California Institute of Integral Studies. My dissertation was on psychedelics. It was just released as a book called The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, the Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution on the Planet, an integral approach. It's found on every platform right now. Um, it was years of work. I recommend looking at it. Then I did two years of somatic psychotherapy training. I trained for years within the Mazatec mushroom tradition, helped for two years of the CIS psychedelic certificate training, and just this last week signed a contract to come on as content advisor for the synthesis psychedelic guide uh, training. 
so it's been my full-on life for a while and i lead legal psilocybin ceremonies in jamaica with all my retreats so yeah yeah it's, it's, it's something i'm yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely something I've given myself over to. And, and I love the topic, you know, something I haven't heard much discussed that I think would be a value is even the theoretical and metaphysical grounding of integration and what it is, you know, as long along with those other like embodiment exercise and practical, you know, utilities of how to integrate psychedelic experience. So perhaps we could start by you defining what integration means. For mm -hmm. you. Just what's that? Um, yeah. It's a great word, and I'm glad it's taking hold, and it's important, and I think integration can be applied to any life experience aside from psychedelics, and a reason I really enjoy that word, it's also shares so much with the root words like integrity, you know, so like if we just look at that word, which I, I think is substantial for all of us, is it's almost an alignment of body, heart, mind, and spirit, you know, so that sense of unity within your being, um, as we are like a holistically interconnected system. And so if somebody has integrity, it's their words are matching their thoughts, there's an authenticity, which is matching their actions, which is matching their feelings. And this deep brings a deep sense of trust in that person and groundedness, and there's a consistency in their being. And so here we're also trying to unify the wisdom they've gained from these psychedelic states and integrate it into their life so it's embodied, so it's practiced, so it's deepening into their relationships and then into their ethics and into their values. Um, I, I think another good point is also looking at, uh, you know, so I think some of your re listeners are familiar with Ken Wilber and his integral theory. And so if we're looking at from integral theory, we're looking at the quadrants, you know, he has this viewpoint of, of singular perspective and then collective perspective in the bottom and then inner and outer. And the whole point is also to integrate all these perspectives into one unified phenomenon, you know, so it's a coming together of different elements and try to make a sense of cohesion. And ultimately we're one united being, our, our being, my body, my mind, my heart, and all these things. And it's just bringing all those different elements into greater resonance. I think, uh, you know, one of the ways I think about it is that you, I, I love what you say about walking your talk. Someone with integrity is walking their talk. And that's in a nutshell, that's kind of what integrating um, a psychedelic experience is that you learn to walk become the experience you've had mm -hmm. and one of the things that I think is really important to, to in a kind of practical sense is that the journey from you know where you are to to, to where you want to go is made up of lots of little steps and, and we quite often you know one of the things that really doesn't work is the the new year's resolution type thing you know you have this big psychedelic experience and then you think right starting like tomorrow I'm gonna and you just reel off all these massive things and then mm. um, you it, it's totally unrealistic because you just come off this kind of amazing experience and you think yeah I can do I can do all of that you know reality starts kicking in and the kind of sluggishness of um, normal mundane life and then once you start to fail um, to put these things into effect, that creates a, a downward spiral. Um, and yeah. so it's much more appropriate, um, in my opinion, to create an upward spiral of small mm -hmm. wins that is kind of this compound interest idea. Um, mm -hmm. That it ultimately playing the long game is, is the kind of the, the sanest way to do this. 
and to make small gains over years and years and years adds up to something large rather than trying to just next week make the revolution <laughs> happen um yeah yeah totally i think um there's a lot of joy in life that comes along with a consistent feeling of growth right so as long as we feel we're moving forward even increment incrementally life feels good if, as the opposite it, it feels awful if we're stagnant so life is always trying to evolve it's always trying to transcend this moment move forward and even with uh Charles McKenna's this idea of novelty we're trying to create new novelty this newness which is like the formation of complexity in our lives coming together and so you know putting away growth for even if it's some big thing in the future instead of incrementally moving forward we're also robbing ourselves of that joy right now the joy of knowing that i'm being honest with myself first of all and in integrity but then also incrementally um evolving ultimately to just be more who i am which means like i'm living my truth i'm living my beliefs i'm living what i believe is right and there's tremendous freedom in that and i think there's torment in not doing so right so if i'm i'd have to be in some level of self denial to like hey i've learned something that's valuable in my life that should be implemented right away and i'm not doing it so there's this inner contradiction inside that ultimately causes us more pain than anybody else but it will affect our environment also yeah you know i kind of think of you've got short term and long term integration <laughs> there there are things that you know and something that ken wilber talks about um which i think is one of his one of the kind of major contributions to the whole scene of uh, personal development and those kind of things mm-hmm. is this distinction between states and stages and mm-hmm. so you know psychedelic experiences are all about exploring different states of consciousness mm-hmm. uh, and but they they don't what um a, a trait is a different thing to a state so traits mm-hmm. are something that become part of your identity mm-hmm. um, so there's a kind of difference between an ident- uh, um, a change in your identity versus just what's a change in your behavior so you know you could change your behavior but never actually fundamentally uh, change your sense of self right. and so in terms of like the long term game of this integration thing is it it can take years um to bring these kind of experiences into your actual sense of identity and and, and mm-hmm. fundamentally change who you are um mm-hmm. but at the same time um it's quite good to have things on a shorter feedback loop to give you you know because we've got these rewards mechanisms and things all built into our biology and psychology you mm-hmm. need to feed yourself a little a few goodies you know early on mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise if you're just playing the long game you know you it can get a bit disheartening so it's holding those two in focus i think um Mm -hmm. uh, you know for me i think has been really helpful yeah no i hear that definitely a a focus on the details and the micro you know and then the zooming out and the macro the macro being like your entire life trajectory and 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 i'm glad we're referencing his work because i think he did a great job of looking at uh levels of development you know throughout history and he looked at over hundreds of mo- models of how transformation takes place and he had that line um you know with practice altered states become permanent traits and i think i think the correct orientation to psychedelic experiences is the transformation of our lives not just that one singular state experience which is amazing but the very quality of integrating that state experience is what creates a new stage and a stage meaning 
it's it's a center of gravity from where we're operating from um you know and generally it's qualified as a, a paradigm which is my worldview which is accompanied by values and a different sense of self and so you know his more simplified his model because it could be very complex but he says the main change in transformation of identity is from egocentric to ethnocentric to world-centric to cosmocentric where egocentric is just focus on me and then we know for sure, like psychedelics create these boundary dissolving experiences that dissolve the separation between ourselves and other. Um, ethnocentric is uh, identity with the tribe or culture, people that are like us, then world centric and identity with all of humanity in the biosphere, all the way to cosmocentric. I'm united with all levels of spirit and energy and matter. I'm one with the universe, you know, and the divine. And so, I mean, imagine somebody has these experiences, which is pretty common of a unity with nature. You know, so I'm one with the entire ecosystem and the biosphere, and it could be tremendously healing. In the words, healing, wholeness, and holy share a similar root. So I'm becoming a part of a larger whole, and I'm deeply interconnected. And there's this large energy exchange when it comes to the oxygen, to the food, to my relationships with this with this environment. And what if I don't integrate that? You know, it's a major loss for ourselves and for the ecosystem. You know, so that'd be a movement, for example, from ethnocentric, meaning I'm identified with my, my nation, my country, my culture, to something much larger like the entire planet. So a, a type of integrity or integration of this kind of nature mysticism or sense of unification with the interconnection of with the earth, which again is very common with psychedelic experiences, um, would be shifting our value system you know, start living in congruency with, you know, the ideas, the facts of climate change, how we affect other animals, species, that there's more um, in common between us as humans with other people in different countries. And there are even differences. You know, there's just normally sets of beliefs, somewhat that are differences, but our anatomy is the same. Our feelings are, are you know, so much we're more hardwired in very similar ways that we are different. We're like, 99% same, but we're overlook those for the more of the superficial differences. So it's really seeing uh, the unity, you know, between all things, I think is a deep part of this integration process, just as integration is coming into unity with everything we've learned. And so that's the kind of the world centric perspective and, and view. Um, mm -hmm. How would you define uh, cosmocentric? Yeah. So it's a step obviously beyond in terms of depth and span, as Wilbur says, it's so it's stretching beyond just our planets, you know, but also in depth of consciousness. And so it, it gets more complex as you move out. But for an example, it might be out there is if, if life exists in other parts of the universe, which, you know, when it comes to mathematical percentages, almost highly likely does, you know, our other systems star systems are older than ours they've complexified a lot more so likely there's life all across the universe and so there's a deep sense that we share the same spirit as they do because there's only one spirit right so it stretches far beyond the bounds that there's a oneness between the entire universe but there's also uh, deeper than just say this external universe in the sense that um, there's a oneness connecting us in the archetypal realm and the collective unconscious all the way to a deep sense of unity and god I'd say more at the core, it's like there's one spirit, one witness within us, one listener and seer that's also within every consciousness. Uh, it's closer to the kind of Hindu notion of everything is Brahman having this large dream, a world Atman, this singular one God inside of it, you know, so, and I think the psychedelic experiences is I've seen, including um, most research about the work of Stanislav Grof, who's worked in this field for about 50 years, and he wrote this book, Cosmic Game, of seeing what's the philosophical implications of psychedelic experiences. And then again, he's looking at after 50 years of study, 
and it's very much resonant with with the this Hindu notion that I share, but also with the perennial philosophy, which is like this eternal philosophy put forward by Aldous Huxley. That there's one united consciousness, that consciousness is fundamental, that we're all deeply interconnected, you know. So in this way, it's like our mind is entangled with all other minds. Um, but also all the way down that even there's a sentiency to all matter, you know, it's kind of the philosophy offered North Whitehead did even atoms of consciousness, not the same consciousness we do that were a different part in the evolutionary process, but there's a sense of feeling and sentience that is just fundamental all up and down. So it's a unification more with like, say the, the fabric of reality that we're one no matter what, you know, as opposed from just this point of view that the earth is an interconnected living system, which yes, like Gaia theory, and that same ideas actually extrapolate and go on much larger than just uh, this biosphere. So there's a, it's a deeper connection, you know, before with the realm of before life and more also with after death. And so I think there's a deeper resting that can take place, you know, a greater sense of belonging. Yeah. And I'd kind of um, say that the experience of the cosmocentric perspective is that rather than you feeling like an individual looking out upon the universal cosmos, uh, you actually feel that you are the universal cosmos or this singular consciousness looking through your personality and your humanness. It's a kind of, a, it's, a, it's a 180, well no, it's like kind of going back a level and looking through you rather than looking out from where you, your vantage point. Mm. One, one, one state which is quite a common state experience and this, how this translates into a trait, you know, this, this is an important thing to discuss is ego dissolution. So mm. that's become like a big thing, you know, with the, that's, yeah. that's the Mount Everest uh, <laughs> of a psychedelic experience is to just obliterate your ego. You know, and you read about it in even in like New York Times article. Yeah, it's just like mm -hmm. it's a mainstream thing now. And it does happen in psychedelic experiences. You lose yourself completely sometimes. And in terms of that, you know, that's a powerful state experience, but you would not want that to become a trait the mm -hmm. next day forever. Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. some people in this spiritual thing, you know, game imagine that they'd want that immediately and yeah. um, you know there are accounts of people that that's happened to and it's has usually been quite an unpleasant experience for them for quite a long time and it's taken a long time for them to literally integrate into their identity and then they, they you know um, manage to to become more functional and um, so now I, I mean when I look at uh, myself as you know I can, I can feel quite a lot of ego dissolution has happened compared to myself, say 20 years ago or something. Um, and there's way more in the future. I'm somewhere along this kind of spectrum and we all, we all are. Um, mm. and, and I think that's, you know, that's okay to just, you're kind of moving along. And, you know, I, I, I think to, it's sort of catastrophic for your survival, basically, an instant uh, loss of, of, of ego. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think? Because it's something that's, that's, that's talked about quite a lot, um, I found. Yeah, yeah, I think it's talked about almost too much, you know, it's not as, as you're kind of alluded to in the understanding of what it is and the implication it has. 
myself, I've probably gone through maybe five of these ego death experiences, but that's over the course of maybe well over 300 psychedelic experiences over 20 years, right? So it's not the common whatsoever. And so I get a lot of people coming in wanting an ego death experience, you know? And, and as you shared, it's just like, well, could you even handle that right now? And I think the important question that comes up to me is what part of you is asking for that? Right. It's normally the ego itself that is asking for that because we think it's going to be some level of greater spiritual attainment or some of the sort. Um, I think a big part of us being here as human is to cultivate a very healthy ego. So an ego being some sense of a social self and self-image and so on. And it's not the ground of our reality, but it's it's like it's what we're here to kind of blossom and cultivate and grow. You know, so if you have unhealthy aspects of your ego that are having you feeling disconnected or fluctuating between inflation and deflation, like I'm a small and I'm nobody or I'm amazing, I'm better than everybody else, then that part needs to kind of dissolve or those parts of the structure need to dissolve so we can be more, uh, when, I say, when I say into equality, equality also means unity, we're all the same, you know? It, so there's tremendous more freedom when it comes to see ourselves as more closer and more in the same sense of, very much similar in terms of value, you know, and self-esteem as everybody else. Um, it's quite a, I mean, the first time it happens, it's definitely, I think, the most transformative because it lets you know that there's something beyond you. And I think that only happens really once uh, when you have a certain kind of worldview and identity and being, and that dissolves, that opens your up your mind, not just to this other reality, but like, hey, this is a possibility and it kind of humbles people We're like, wow, there's so much more than I could ever understand. You know, so I think that they are really that the first one is quite amazing and not everybody may need it um, and not everybody needs it at any moment. And as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's a destabilizing since that it's a dissolution of identity, which you've spent your entire lifetime cultivating. And so there could be quite a disorientation process after that. And, you know, I'll speak about in my case, you know, when I went through mine, it was 2002, Tucson, Arizona, I was 18 years old, and there wasn't a culture for it, right? So there's nobody who knows what I just went through, you know? So I had to kind of stay internal about this experience for about seven years, even though I thought about it every day and it was the most profound experience I had. Now I'm glad there's podcasts, there's talks, there's videos. But then there's also the careful formation of the identity again. So there's no stripping away of identity. We're here to grow identity, as we just mentioned with Wilbur's work. Um, transformation can be seen as the expansion of identity, you know, the sense of self that I have. Ultimately, as you kind of saying, like we are the universe at large embodies as one singular being. And so we don't want identity to go away because, I mean, for one, how can you have relationships with somebody else? You know, so. Um, Carl Jung's work, for example, you know, the great depth psychologist is like, we're deeply generally in the process of individuation, which we're, is the process of creating a separate identity, you know, a separate sense of self. And the more of a sense of self somebody has, you know, even looking at um, Abraham Maslow's work of self-actualization, of actualizing myself as a particular unique individual, then you can have more deeper relationships with other people. You know, so what I've seen through my psychedelic work is so much of the evolutionary process is coming to manifest and to embody that we are unique beings every single one of us there's a unique almost deity in god right so that 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 is a very separate sense of self even though it's unified underneath but it's a very unique being and that also allows for deeper relationships which i think is why there's almost eight billion people on the planet you know why did god separate himself into so many beings is so that we can connect with each other you know so the ego is super necessary for many parts of our life I think we just need a, I'll say transparent ego. So it's not opaque. It's just not like, it's not like just dense, 
it's transparent to the light and the reality underneath it, but it's still, you know, the, the character or the film or the vessel through which we're experiencing, you know, our world physically and socially. Yeah, uh, wise, wise words. And they're not mutually exclusive. You know, this kind of like large self with a capital S and our small self, you know, they coexist yeah. perfectly happily. They always have done. Um, yeah. actually in one in our lives and you know being a long-term meditator you know I am always paying attention to that mm. and there's not this this sharp line but that that's a that's a whole nother conversation um mm. and um so yeah I mean I think of the you know a bit like weight training where you you stress your muscles out you you hurt them basically or, uh, well, I don't know whether that's the right word. I hear that. Yeah, totally. uh, you break yeah. them, whatever. And then, Tear them, yeah. Mm -hmm. and then they, they rebuild. Um, right. uh, you have this recovery period, and then you do it again, and then they rebuild, and that's how you get stronger muscles. And mm -hmm. if you only ever work out, if you work, you know, without any rest and recuperation, then your muscles don't adapt mm. properly to the stimulus. And it, you know, it's it's, it's the sort of similar idea, I think, to um, to the psychedelic uh, experience, and and that that relates to the sort of frequency that you might do this stuff, and and also taking um, your recovery seriously, um, and you know, again, in, in the kind of strength training world, recovery is a big deal now. You know, and people took you know, but before it was all about just train hard, train hard. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to sleep a lot. You need to eat the right food, and all of those kind of things. And uh, and also, it stops from from getting injuries, like a long term injury, which might be some kind of the equivalent of that would be a, a, a big a psychedelic experience that you just cannot process. And that's a that's right. an in, a psychedelic injury. <laughs> they do happen. They do happen. Absolutely, absolutely, they do. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love the metaphor, you know, it's I mean, the way you get strength, you're just saying it's kind of working hard, ripping the muscle, giving it the right nutrients to rest, it organically rebuilds. Um, generally, after psychedelic experiences, when I work with individuals, they're exhausted, if not the next day, sometimes for five days, it takes a lot. And, and um, there's all can be a lot of energy moving through you, a lot of emotions, a lot of cognitive insights, but also like your muscles and your body's depleted, you know, because it, the body's also what's processing the experience. And so uh, generally if people are gonna take a psychedelic experiences, um, I'd make space to also, depending on the dose and, and what's going on, but to take the next day off, you know, like you don't wanna be, especially if something profound may happen, you don't wanna be going off to work and then putting it aside. like your body will know what to do. Like generally it just wants to rest there and be in bed for like a while. Um, and that's gonna help the neurons rewire, help you make sense of it, help it settle and, and really to um, extract the most, you know, kind of from the experience. But there's, I've kind of um, put four, like four subheadings. Um, right. Yes, and, and you know, one of the ones I'd written down was, was grounding. Um, because mm -hmm. what gun, what goes up must come down and uh, yeah. should come down. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, the, the kind of things that I've written down here uh, in terms of grounding is spending time in nature. Um, mm -hmm. You know, nature is just healing uh, and grounding in, in all the obvious ways that we all know about. Enjoying sensory pleasures, you mm -hmm. know, like mm -hmm. eating 
food that you know enlivens your 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 tongue and your nose and swimming in the sea i don't know you know those kind of things which kind of really activate your body mm -hmm. um and doing some some really normal stuff as well like seeing some friends who who aren't into this whole spiritual stuff you know just you know normal friends and uh, mm -hmm. your family doing some gardening you know just like some mundane activities um are actually very therapeutic uh when in the right you know obviously we all know that doing too many mundane activities just makes you want to die <laughs> <laughs> but they can actually be really useful um at certain mm -hmm. and um and, and the last thing I wrote down there was sort of to, to be kind to ourselves about what oh. we've been through, you know, and, and, and yeah. where we're going, you know, and what we're going to do about it, because we can be a bit kind of macho or gung-ho, you know, or, or a bit stressed out or feel we're evil, dirty for things that have come up, you know. So that's, mm -hmm. that's a bit of a kind of list of things there, but I wonder if there's anything you wanted to pick out from no, that. No, no, I think those are all great ones. and. Yeah, when I think of grounding, and uh, I think all your examples kind of point towards it, is is to really coming to inhabit our body, you know, to be in the here and now, to be here in the planet. Um, so much things can happen. The psychedelic experiences again, huge rush of emotions, insights, uh, future tripping of like, oh, I saw the future, or I saw what I could potentially do, or truths about the the cosmos as whole, and it could be very exciting, but also you know, is we're kind of using the word ungrounding, meaning I'm going somewhere else other than being here. End of the day, we don't know if any of those things are true. We don't know if our insights are true. We don't know if we see visions of the future are true. We don't know, you know, and so I think it's really nice to open them, hold them very kind of not grasping and not quenched. But what we can rely on constantly is the anchor of our body. You know, it's, it's weighted and you say anchor and it's the grounding and that this is what's true. You know, so coming into the sensations of our body, you know, sight, smell, taste, and touch, and especially I think having uh, sensing the body. Uh, one of the biggest practices I had for many years is just a sensation meditation where it's spending 20 minutes scanning your body, you know, like toes, you know, calves, thighs, just the chest, arms, and just spending time just feeling it. And that's what brings you here. And that's what you can trust what's true. And your body's generally trying to speak to you. It's trying to let you know if things are out of alignment, how you're feeling, uh, what's going on with your being emotionally. And for myself, anytime I don't know what's going on or you're in a psychedelic whirlwind, just come into your body and anger here. You know, and that's something I think we can all come to deeply trust more and more. You know, so I, I think definitely a lot of any activity, including dance, that is um, gets you in your body is going to be very useful for grounding. Like here, this is the only truth I really know right now is that I can feel and have this at this moment. Um, so there's, there, the next two I've written down are kind of paradoxical. One is to do with maintaining a connection with the experience and the other is repeating yeah. the experience. Is so what? Maintaining and what? Maintaining a connection with the experience and then the uh -huh. other releasing the experience releasing it yeah. so these seem like they're contradictory but yeah. uh, my podcast is all about paradox and con things that seem contradictory like being right. being the cosmos and also being an individual at the same time you know those kind of things yeah totally um, so you know one of the one of the ways i find i can keep a connection with the experience is finding a piece of music. There might be, have been yeah. a particularly poignant piece of music or a couple 
that you listen to during your journey that you can listen to again um, that kind of bring back the perfume of the experience um, the other thing is artwork and I'm noticing behind you yeah. got lots of artwork which some Alex Gray stuff and um, some of this psychedelic art which that really speaks of the experience I mean, someone referred to Alex Gray's paintings and his artwork as like a sort of um, it's like a, a still life of the psychedelic experience it's, the, it's like a natural history painting of it it you know and it, and it, it really kind of can bring back those experiences. I remember one um, after an ayahuasca experience seeing his um, piece called Bardo Being, and it's this uh, with sort of heads and skulls and these babies and things and this kind of moving. They're staring at each other. Yeah. And I was just like, I looked, I was just like, it, it completely spoke to me. It, it, it was a symbol that encapsulated the entire experience for me. And I've got that permanently up in my house. And it just, you know, brings it back. So, you know, I, um, artwork, music, also fragrances that sometimes in uh, ceremonies, people use different types of incense. If you can get hold of that, that smell activates um, all your memories. Um, and um, yeah, you know, hanging up, hanging stuff up in your house, like, you know, what you've got up behind you. It just kind of, when you see it every day, it just reminds you of, the experience you've had so those are kind of ways that i um connect with it and also some people like journaling too um so mm -hmm. you know what in your training and experience you know, what what have you found about maintaining that connection i think a lot of uh, the things you you know shared i resonate with and i think they're great um for example, I had uh, a few big experiences on psilocybin and also in, on Salvia Divinorum, which is the tool song Lateralis. And it was my favorite song, but every time I listened to it for almost two years, I got pulled into the experience, you know? And I'd, uh, I mean, there were several times I would just, I weeped, you know, listening to the song because it pulled back the stage. And uh, you know, art was going to be one I mentioned. I'm glad you brought that in quite a bit because I think it's, for me, it's one of the most helpful. If you got to do a tour of my house, what you're not seeing on this side and this entire large uh, bedroom over here is maybe 15 to 17 different pieces of visionary art. And there's artists, um, you know, there are psychonauts and they've given themselves over probably for their whole life um, to really translate these states of consciousness into visual representation. You know, there's hundreds, if not thousands of these people because for them, it's also some of the most profound experiences they've had and they feel really deeply inclined to try to bring these into reality. Just saying that we're trying to create language for these states. I mean, a visual representation could sometimes go much farther. And so every time I see any of these pieces of art, I'm also reminded of, of portions of my different experiences and insights. And so I think that's a really, really important and possible deep way. Dancing does it a lot for me. I've also spent a lot of time dancing on psychedelics. And so after half an hour or an hour of dancing, I used to have a regular dance practice where a few times a week I'd go for like for three hours, ecstatic dance, a spontaneous movement, where you're kind of sampled into very kind of energetic, creative, spontaneous states, you know, that where your body's just moving on its own, your mind's not even involved anymore. There's just a freedom and kind of breaking through that can happen psychedelic experiences. Uh, I know a lot of people have more of a relationship to smell than I do. That's possible. There's movies that come out to, on, so pretty much all the arts, you know, so including cinema that tries to translate some of these states. A movie that just came out that was very strange, but very psychedelic was um, 
everything all everywhere all at once. It, it's almost as if LSD took LSD. It was it held the profundity of deep existential questioning and meaning at the same time being absolutely absurd. And the scenes change almost as if you're tripping. So, but very coherent. So. I think there's films, Matrix, for example, you know, uh, Deception, things where that kind of shows the interiority of consciousness and the, and the interconnectedness of everything. Um, I, uh, writing is huge. I don't know if we want to get to that later. I don't know your categories yet, but for me, the ability to translate things into language is ginormous. It kind of helps kind of encrypt it into our mind and everyday consciousness. And I think there's two schools of thought in this, you know, that the experiences are inherently ineffable so why even try you know it's almost kind with the the sign of well the real Tao is the Tao that cannot be spoken you know and yet all language comes from the Tao and and we're forever coming out of this ineffable wellspring but it's our evolution to try to define it that really moves us closer almost as if plato the philosopher has this idea of the perfect form so nothing everything's trying to become the forms but nothing can quite reach it and become it but evolution is a process of trying to come these perfect forms and same with the Tao, and same with our words and uh, terence mckenna had this line that the evolution of our collective culture is really held back by the evolution and, and shortcomings of our language. But as it keeps evolving, we'll be able to anchor in these states more and more because we'll be able to discern different elements of these states, wire into our brain and communicate it with each other. So I think journaling, even it require, might require some wrestling with the experience of how to encapsulate into words is, is deeply worthwhile. Yeah. And I, I, um, I, th I think languaging the ineffable is ultimately, it's a fool's game, but we do it because we love it and we do it because we love other people we want to share it with other people and and because well um because we've benefited from other people being fools in f and f effing the ineffable i mean that <laughs> one of the reasons you know i do this podcast because you know i love the the the, the, the subject matter you know I, I love it like you know i'm in love with this stuff and um, and I am so also you know in love with the people that um, have have you know been uh, been they haven't been so proud as to you know not describe these things. It's like they they've kind of come down off that rarefied level and said, look, I'm going to be a complete idiot and speak this, and it's going to come out and sound completely ridiculous. Um, but I'm so glad they did because it really helped me. You know, and that, yeah. as you say, that's, you know, we're all standing on the shoulders of other people, climbing up towards this light somewhere, or, you know, these tonic forms, never quite getting there. And that's, that's all, that's all cool, you know. And, um, and yeah. that, there's a, humility is a, is a big, is a big one. And that's kind mm -hmm. of brings me on to, you know, this like release um aspect mm -hmm. epistemic humility is is a really great term um and that you know we you've experienced something truly profound um and you, it, it's quite tempting to come out with some complicated metaphysics that you've made up mm -hmm. um, and you know, one of the things that I think is really important to remember is to keep the mystery a mystery. Mm. Um, and to remember that there's always more 
So this is what you were saying earlier, there, there is always more um, <laughs> what you mm -hmm. experience. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, but I, I think that, you know, that's it's slightly related to this journaling thing. You know, it's like, why, why are you writing this down just for yourself, for other people? Do you need to mm -hmm. worry about the form it's taking? You know, I mean, is there some, when you're writing, um, do you just it's just mm. a stream of consciousness just comes out or mm. or is there some kind of pattern you follow uh is it only for your eyes only or would you ever share it with another person you know what yeah those those questions yeah yeah i think a, a perspective for me that's been very helpful um was the perspective that everything is art all the time that the universe itself is, is art and so are all our expressions and just like art or even hopefully good art it, it tries to get to the truth but it's not the truth itself right and and holding things as art is freedom for creativity for exploration for play and holding it a little bit lighter but also you can risk and be more say creative put something out there that's never been done before you know it's a various bernie brown would say a very vulnerable act putting something out there that nobody's ever done but it's it's the process of also you know bringing something new into the world and so I think writing, just like the words we're using in this kind of constellation that we're saying now, it's never been done, right? So every moment is a chance for something new and creative to come forward. And I think that's, we're participating in the deeper processes of the cosmos. When I personally write, it depends. I used to do a lot of poetry and a lot of kind of like slam hip hop stuff. And so that's a very different kind of expression of encapsulating uh, moments with, with, with emotion and with kind of, a, kind of an aesthetic rhyming and sometimes i do it just for me and there's times i've done it to perform um i think journaling is amazing and i've only gone through periods of it um and so that's for oneself but so much of my work because uh, being in academia for so long and then having a deep desire to write books but it also comes from reading a lot of books it just happens to be a world that i really have enjoyed and it's given me so much and so that is there to be shared you know, so I do my best to synthesize a lot of information and bring it forward. And so that it's one of the ways I feel I can be of service and naturally being more introverted, you know, so there's other people can share their stuff in a lot of other ways. And here's one way I could feel I could contribute. And so it is there to, um, for others generally. And it is for me, it's a very, it's maybe the hardest thing I do in life. It's a very hard task to sit there and write, especially something larger that's day after day hours a day especially when your body doesn't want to but that's just what's required to, to, to do this my art form and i think when anybody's kind of sharing something to get very clear on as we're kind of saying why are you doing this are you doing this to look smart right so are you creating this metaphysical system so people can look at you and say i'm amazing and so then you're just kind of feeling the self-esteem need that you have everybody has it's part of the Maslow's hierarchy you need or are you doing this to be of service and for them so is this helpful and are you complexifying it too much where they can't even understand it and is it so out there that they can you're here to help their lives you know i think that's what art generally is here to do and um it's a good book the mission of art by alex gray at red 18 has played a big role in my life and you know what is the mission of art it's us to wake us up to ourselves and each other and so he puts his art so that you see it and that you see reflections of who you are he has his anatomy has all this kind of energy and the kind of content that he shows they so can see and recognize a deep part truth of you and so i think it's here for people to see you know my book specifically was focused on this idea that we evolved because of relationship with psilocybin mushrooms and people can see the reasoning and evidence for it in the book but to help us to see a deeper part of ourselves of how we got here and maybe and how we continue as a species and i think 
if I spent a lot of time on the metaphysics, which you know I've, I've always found very entertaining and very pulled by, I would have lost a lot of people. Because end of the day, more than any kind of metaphysical model, what's important is that direct experience. And so I can bring all the reasoning and everything, but ultimately none of them comes close. It's a shadow compared to the experience itself. People need to take the substance of themselves or go into a meditation practice itself instead of thinking about meditation and learning about it to actually have the direct experience to have the transformation to really understand what we're talking about. The rest is just the structure we're creating, but it's hollow without the actual experience. Yeah, yeah. And I, that, I, that's a really nice framing of almost any action as, as art. I mean, that, you know, that it's, 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 um, it's an approximation and an art doesn't pretend to not be an approximation. You know, it's like, right. and, that, and that's so you've written a book that was your piece of art out, right. came out of your love of this subject. And, right. and it's like, well, you know, this isn't the final word on the subject and it's not a one-to-one -one correlation of the experience. It's, this is my piece of art, you know. It's the best I could do. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's great. I, uh, I love it. Um, so one of the one of the things I've, you know, a couple of things I've written down about this sort of releasing the experience that um, you can get this kind of yo-yo effect of you have the experience of you know this powerful psychedelic experience and then the kind of like brutal, real, mundane world. And, you know, you, you yeah. can go between one and the other and the two never quite meet and it can, yeah. it can kind of break you open. It's like, oh, this is already uncomfortable. Um, and, I, um, you know, probably one of the things I'd say about that is if you feel you're yo-yoing too much, just do it a little less often. You, you know what I mean that kind of yeah being God and then being a um schmuck yeah, you know, to, totally. yeah, uh, yeah. then being God and then being a schmuck God schmuck God schmuck God schmuck. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know what what would you say about how to deal with that ex experience yeah. I mean, that, that that that's what I've described there is a complete lack of integration it's it's your, your oh yeah it's a binary flip between yeah, yeah. ultimately we kind of want to get beyond this binary flipping um, totally I think some of it, some of it might be inevitable, you know, but because it, it's a process of the system trying to integrate. So hopefully the oscillations get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. If they stay that level of distinct and separated, I'm like, I'm in that binary of like, I'm God or I'm smuck, and it just stays to that degree for a long time, you're, that person's really missing the integration process, you know, but I, I think at, you know, just pulling that, from that, it's, if that's, if that's your common experience then that's a sign that integration is not happening right you're you're living in two separate realities when they need to be unified and that's the point so you know in this sense uh, integrate being more godlike but at the same time very grounded and realize that everybody else is god too and you can come be god while working with your employer whoever it is and still follow all the rules of of that and honoring all the systems that you're a part of right and so not like I'm God, I'm free of everything. It's like, yeah, stay free, but also stay connected to our world and come to a deep acceptance of the world we're in. That's also a deep sense of coming in with love is deeply accepting the, the, the reality that we're in. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but it's, um, I mean, I certainly went through an extended period of that in yeah. the early days for me, and it was yeah. really uncomfortable. And it's one of the reasons yeah. why I know that this subject of integration is really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
something I would say is, you know, so I saw a common working with lots of people is, um, you know, it, it, they get a high, they get a high because they break through for the first time, you know, and so that, that might last for months and then they're like, then the high comes down and they're scared and worried, like, am I going to lose this? And it's just like, no, we're, we're integrating all of it, you know, there's very deeply painful parts of our existence that we need to come to terms with. And how do we do that um, with a big open heart? You know, I think so much of the psychedelic experience is here to open our heart. You know, that we're all one translates also to a tremendous amount of love. When there's no reason for my heart to be closed. It might happen, you know, here and there as we get hurt, but then reopening it again. And how can I take in more of reality, which is also digesting more and more pain, you know? So not pushing reality away of like, oh no, I don't want to be here. I want to be up there. You know, it's more like, how can I bring the up here, down here also? And while also trying to elevate very lovingly the the world around me to realize that there's more than there's more possibilities than we're seeing. Yeah, digesting our pain. Uh, yeah. so that's a that's a really great there's a lot. It's it's like a you know, that little term holds yeah. a lot of um, about a lot. experiences. Yeah. And, and and the yeah. and it that's another kind of term for the integration. It's digesting our pain because so much of these experiences are not the kind of like all the the, the happy fireworks bits there's also like getting right down in the shit um, yeah. Uh, yeah so, so it's just like what you know in many ways it's what keeps us away from this present moment for a lot of us we carry you know a lot of trauma in our body so you waking up to really being in your body means waking up to all the undigested experiences that you have that you've been holding on to unconsciously so you're gonna have to digest you know the history and then waking up to the reality of what's going on here on the planet now or the people around us and their shortcomings or disappointments and so on. So there's a lot of pain that needs to be digested. It's also the most loving thing to do. Um, you know, so a big, huge you know, insight for me was that like life is never ending struggle and that's okay. That's just like that we're sharing with the metaphor of the gym and working out, that's how muscles grow. Like you're never gonna stop you know, coming against resistance. You know, if I think of a, a tree that exists and then the wind comes and pushes it, you know, but, but now it's going to grow stronger fibers and be even more sturdy and sturdier. We're here to incarnate and make very strong individuals, strong, but also not dense in the sense that like also not connected to the rest of ourselves and shutting ourselves off. Right. And we grow strength through resistance and difficulty. And so that's also coming here, you know, we tend to push away this reality out of pain. And it's really you know, embracing that pain that allows us to, let's say deeply be here, but um, come to more intimate relationship with what is. Yeah, yeah I feel like we've kind of, uh, there, was the, there was the new age spirituality was very popular um, a while back. And that was all about the light, you know, all the happiness, the joy, you know, no, we don't do pain. And then I feel <laughs> like we've, as, the culture generally has kind of moved beyond that now where this is much more part of the conversation um, you know, how to digest your pain and there's nothing wrong you know life is painful uh, okay. it's the way it is as you say that's how we grow um, yeah. and you know i'm really glad that that seems to be more in the conversation now. <laughs> totally the other one's very unintegrated it's very much kind of elevated but the feet aren't on the ground so it's also hard to trust somebody like that because they're going to be running away from the pain and maybe yours yeah. and there's things that we really need to show up to yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so alan watts said uh it's like wanting an up without a down <laughs> so you know and i think you know the, the last thing on this kind of releasing point i'd written down was mm. 
this this kind of comes a bit out of the kind of modernist approach to uh, psychedelics. So not so much yeah. the, the the kind of hippie world, the more the kind of Silicon Valley um, optimizing self optimization world, where they yeah. just want to milk. And when I say they, we all do this. So I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm talking about people out there in the world, different types of people and groups of people, but these are all represented inside us. So, I mean, I, I'm mm-hmm. not, I don't want anyone to think I'm pretending I don't do these things myself. It's why I know about all these things because I, do, I do, mm-hmm. do them and have done them and will do them in the future. That, um, you know, to, to milk every last drop uh, out of an experience, you know, it's like mm-hmm. some some of it just, just like, I just don't worry about it. You know, it's just okay. like, remember you know they i don't want anyone to listen to this to think you know that to, to integrate means to literally wring the thing dry <laughs> you know so so you uh, you know what i mean you've got your kind of 20 point plan and you chip mm-hmm. them all off and, and that kind of thing um mm-hmm. mm. uh sure is uh when i hear somebody doing that it's there's a deep sense of scarcity in their being you know of yeah. like well this is going to be the only experience and it's well the truth is experience is never ending just try to stop it it just keeps happening you know and and if it's that particular experience uh what you don't learn is likely to come back again you know if you pushed it away intentionally and didn't do it it might come back very painfully be like just louder to get the message but um you know there's definitely some states where it's i mean i felt like the wealth and knowledge and awareness of the entire universe is available like that's where some humbleness or humility might come. Like you can't integrate all that. Nobody's expecting that of you. You know, just take the best you can. And and and, you know, I mean, there's experiences for 20 years now. I'm integrating, but I, it also comes out of joy. I'm not sitting there very disciplined of like, I'm going to spend the next hour integrating something happened 20 years ago. It's just it, it comes because there's a love and growth out of it. That being said, I do think it's positive. You know, what I do with, with people I work with is um to at least schedule two integration sessions. Um, after every journey, normally a few days after, then a week after that, and it's it's just like everything else that we learn. The more you go through it, the more kind of and um, integrates and ties into your brain. Like if you're taking a test at school, you have to go through the information several times for it to anchor it into your memory. It's the same with every other part of your experience, and so it's a lot of us get so busy that we actually need to put in the calendar the time, you know. And it's also nice to keep it relational, and maybe with somebody else, or at least an hour journaling or whatever. And it also helps bring back the experience and anchor in the state more. So I think, you know, some amount of minimum integration is absolutely essential and possible. But if you're bringing it very rigidly and stress and tension oriented towards it, then that's also the life you're creating a living. And I think if they became a conscious of that, they're like, this is not what I want. And maybe this, the experience itself might even say trust more. You know, which isn't this grasping and this holding on, it's, it's infinite. There's going to be some loss and there's going to be some gain with everything. Like we will lose, everything falls away. Like you'll lose everything, you know? And, and that's how do you live in a world where everything's always shifting and moving and changing? Is by relaxing and kind of just accepting the change as part of the flow of our reality. And, and same with this. It's like, you'll take some, let it wash through you, let it change you. Holding tension won't necessarily help. And that there's going to be more, and it's infinite. The growth is infinite. And you know, so just uh, that's kind of keeping the long haul gain instead of like I have to do it all within the next three months. So like this is a lifetime of work that hopefully somebody enjoys. Yeah. And it's a practice and it's an art form. 
you know yeah. and 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 anybody who has learned any art musical instrument painting poetry whatever um writing people it takes year you know this of years of practice to to do these things and we kind of have this sort of slightly weird fake notion that people can just suddenly just it you know just turn on the tap um mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it it takes a long time um so the other thing i've, I've written here that that's really helpful i've found is to find i've just written like my heading was find your tribe but yeah you know you you come out of the experience and people around you might not have had these experiences might not be you know i mean one of the one really common experiences you know you have this this incredible experience you just go and start to talk to people and no one gives a shit about it uh, <laughs> you know because they weren't there um yeah and um they might have had their own experiences but it may not necessarily map onto yours because they can be quite personal um that i mean i one thing i found very helpful is facebook groups uh, mm -hmm. you know and, and, and people are very very open um sharing their experiences there's some really wise people and some complete cocks too i mean you know, <laughs> you've got to keep an eye out it's it be just mm -hmm. But there's there's a lot of wisdom uh, to be there's Reddit threads and uh, mm -hmm. Reddit Reddit groups and stuff like that. I mean, what would you say in terms of connecting with other people? You know, a, a, a tribe of people where you can actually connect with around this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think it's deeply important. Um, I mean, it becomes almost quite a need into the pool. You know, Timothy Leary and uh, Terence McKenna have this line, they would say, find the others. So as soon as you wake up and have this wake up through psychedelic experiences, you know, there's this pull to want to find the others that has something similar. And I think part of it is also part of a kind of a macro self-organizing that we want to create a new world. Um, when I had at 18 this huge experience and a part of it was that I saw that this earth is heaven and I thought this whole earth was hell like it's a very painful reality but that this is kind of God's kingdom and palace and that we can kind of create anything we want it, it became clear to me the only thing that's stopping that because that's true is just our perception of how we're showing up in reality how we're treating each other how we're treating the planet how we're using our resources because there's enough to feed everybody and make it you know very pleasurable and a growth-oriented life here and so it's, it's like until we get everybody on board, we can't really kind of create into that world. The whole kind of even study on paradigms, it's just like all these levels exist, we're just not acting that way. And so there's going to be a desire to find bubbles or cultures or peoples of, that share something similar so we can start living that way with each other. Um, it's hard to be super loving with somebody if they're closed down or rejecting you and mean, or if they're power hungry and attacking. It's, it's very painful to have an open heart when people around you have closed hearts. It's, it's a very painful experience. You can still love them. It just might not be, you know, in, in terms of your best service to keep staying somewhere where people may not see the same things the same way you do. So thank God for the internet that now we can create tribes non-locally, you know? So whether through these podcasts, Facebook's amazing. Um, in the U.S., a lot of societies, and including in Europe, uh, a lot of cities, especially major ones, have established psychedelic societies. And so just put in the name of your city and then psychedelic society in Google, you may come up with one. And so there's individuals that are getting together weekly, at the least monthly, to talk about these experiences. A lot of them have um, free integration groups, either in person or online. So 
if people go to the SF Psychedelic Society, San Francisco, San Francisco Psychedelic Society website, and it's the largest one in the US, um, every week there's one or two free integration groups. So you get to hop on a Zoom call with 20, 30 other people that want to talk about their psychedelic experiences so we can learn and help and support each other. So that's one huge way. When I got into this, you know, this stuff didn't exist. And so I found mine through books and it was a lot, a lot of reading, just different spiritual authors and then reading about psychedelics themselves. So it was more impersonal, but now there's, you know, some level of psychedelic integration happening online, probably for free every day of the week, you know? So it's definitely just putting some energy and some effort out there to find it. I mean, five minutes of research, you'll probably find somewhere you can go to help build community around this. Um, um... Have you got any wisdom to share around how to find groups that are healthy? Uh, because there, there are some groups that are probably going to mess you up more than. Uh, uh, I mean, is, is it, is it, I mean, that's just the question we're all asking ourselves about internet use. I mean, how do you use the internet without, yeah. being, you know, uh, into some fraud experience? Yeah, yeah, it's you know disillusioning you know, to say and see, even within their own with psychedelics, is very power-hungry people that also aren't trustworthy and are deluded, and it's it's painful, it's difficult. There's people that can have these amazing, huge experiences and still come back, and because that's where the ego structure is, and it, uh, fighting other people, putting it down, so I'd like to think it's healthier than a lot of other cultures and spaces, and yet you're still going to run into a lot of other people that, you know, you may want to keep some distance from. Um, I don't think we're there yet. You know, there's definitely been a lot of approaches to try to keep a high level of standard for culture. And yet that doesn't mean everybody's gonna follow it. And it doesn't mean even sometimes the people enforcing it are good people. So it's gonna be some trial and error. You know, it's gonna be just like every part of life of finding good friends or a good partner. Like it's gonna go through some sifting to find compatibility. Get to know people for a while. Um, everything quality in life takes some, normally some time. So to build a good community or find one might take a couple of years, you know, hopefully enjoy the process and come into deeper trust with yourself more than just generally the other people. You know, if you can't trust your own mind, why trust theirs? And so definitely ground into your own truth of, of what you feel is really real um, more than what somebody online is going to tell you. You know, and then find resonance with other people that kind of align with those same truths and the same values and that also feel integrated, that their body, their mind and their heart are showing up in a very similar way that resonates, you know, and if you don't feel trusting of them or some alert goes off, it's okay to back away. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good words. You mentioned you recommend a couple of integration sessions, um, yeah. at least a couple yeah. of integration sessions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that like a, they talk therapy sessions? I mean, what, when you say integration sessions, what, what do you actually mean by that? You know, so uh, for example, if I'm going out there and doing this work in Jamaica, we spend a lot of time with integration there in person. Over there, it's a lot of time it's group work. So we talk a lot as a group after the journey and then we spend an entire day for integration. After that, then we integrate for one more circle before they leave. It's a, it's a four day thing to have one during Jamaica. But then coming back, we have two more integration sessions, you know, online, a week out and then a week after that. And so it's a little bit different because I was there with them. So I can take notes of the entire experience, remind them of where they went through so during those hours, what are the key things that they said. And it really 
just small little lines pull back the entire gestalt or entire larger field of what they were going through. You know, sometimes it's really hard to remember what happens. I mean, I've, I've worked with people that they forget 90% of it. The, the changes in their life are still there. The neurons still connected differently. The impressions and the emotions really change them. So they can come out of depression, even if they didn't remember it. But I think it's far more effective if they do, you know? And so really taking detailed notes and repeating it to them later is, I think the one of the, maybe the best way to be of service in terms of integration, because you can't integrate something that you don't remember really not consciously, at least your body minds, you know, but there's muscle memory and, and there's ways that subconsciously they leak in, but I want a full hundred percent integration. Right. So reminding them of the experience is huge. And then a lot of material comes up sometimes very personal, um, including deep trauma or deep insights. And right. And so we have to unpack that. So it's super common that something huge in their memory came up maybe from their childhood that it's after the fact that all the emotions come up. So I've had a lot of journeys with people that the journey goes very smooth and then they remember the journey and some of the insights. Now it pulls from the space of their feeling kind of more expanded the next day and safe and less kind of um, overwhelmed by the psychedelic experiences that the childhood memories come up, including of deep trauma and they just break down crying the next day. You know, So there's a lot of people where it's during the integration that the more psychedelic, meaning the more emotionally charged content comes up. And so that you're there as another human to hold space, ask questions, make sense, help them feel safe in their vulnerability and not alone in their pain. And then also same with um, the positive side of like insights, you know, there's, you can have some huge idea, you know, the one that comes to me is like, we're all one. It's such a simple phrase and yet its implications can change everything, you know? So there's a lot to break down in that and, and break it down for them in ways that talk to them in that moment and who they are, you know? saying the entire ecosystem is interconnected you know through chemical you know transmission through oxygen and food and diet it may not mean a lot to them and that's a very real part of world one but to them to feel a deeper sense of resonance with their family and partner and community may mean a lot so then you spend a lot of time unpacking that with them you know in ways that feel very alive for them and so it's just like we get these little packets of information that are downloaded and they have to be really like decrypted and really they're like zip files that you get before on the computer that's compressed information right so you have to uncompress the information and really interconnect it with the rest of their living system something that comes up a lot i mean i call it homework you kind of get like lessons and things to go carry out like go have a conversation with this person in your life treat your go out with your mom and dad treat them better sometimes it's leave this job or go after the job that you really want or create this change in your relationship and you know, and I think in a very grounded way, diet and exercise comes up a lot in journeys for everybody. For me, almost every journey, but for everybody else, it's like, here's areas that you can keep improving in almost all the time that will create maximization and benefits in your life. They create a lo loving, healthy body and help you enjoy and give the most out of life, right? And so to really put these things into practice, so you're here to remember them and then hold them to it, like in a loving way. Like, so did you start your exercise practice? Have you changed your diet? Did you tell your boss this really important conversation that you wanted to have? You know, because if you're not carrying out the messages, why are you doing it? You know, sometimes you get very clear instructions of what to do. And it's there almost as an advisor, you know, and if you're not listening, why are we journeying? Yeah, uh, that's, that's really important. So you mentioned you mentioned trauma quite quite a few times. Yeah. And I mean I I'm not a, a trauma specialist 
um, myself. Uh, but it's 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 another big word that is, you know, lots of people are talking about trauma at the moment, and you know, you be, people do access deep traumas um, in psychedelic experiences, and if that happens, I mean, I presume you've had some training in some you know, some I don't know, you know basic trauma management, but there is a kind of threshold of which if you go beyond a certain threshold, you need a specific trauma therapist um, mm -hmm. to, to work with. Um, you know, you've, you've, you've had, you've conducted these ceremonies for hundreds of people and you must, you, I mean, traumas must have come up quite a bit. So I mean, what, yeah. <laughs> so what, what would you say about, about that and you know when to seek further help and and you know uh, how might one go about looking for a, a specific yeah. trauma therapist i'd say 70 percent of my work is trauma work right so it, it, it's most of the bulk of what happens in the line of work i do 90 percent of people come in because they're having some level of problem in their life so that's generally anxiety depression and a mix of both um if not just straight up just PTSD um, and only 10% come for recreational purposes that they want to enjoy. Recreational meaning that they're somewhat happy and stable and they're here to even the word recreate to kind of kind of move into a state of inspiration and move into something new hoping for a transformational experience or new knowledge you know and so uh, most people come because they're motivated by pain there's something inside that is hurting and they've tried all the traditional routes before they fly out to Jamaica, they've, they've already tried every kind of established, you know, conventional kind of methods. Uh, most of them have been in therapy for sometimes 20 years, if not a very long time. And they've tried so many different medications. And so with the Western therapeutic and medical model it hasn't been able to help them. You know, and studies have found that uh, psilocybin treatment is effective for 80% of the people that have treatment resistant depression. That means people that have tried everything else and have their resistance to that level of treatment this helps 80 percent of them so it helps the majority maybe 90 percent of people you know especially if they're not even treatment resistant uh the most of it is childhood trauma you know and is um gabber mate you know the great guy uh, you know, kind of medical doctor and kind of therapist who's playing this role many much in the kind of spiritual communities and bringing kind of psychedelics in and has focused a lot on addiction he says the correlation the largest correlation to any kind of level of addiction and addictive patterning is childhood trauma right um the worst trauma i've seen by far and it's more frequent than I think most realize is sexual trauma, especially early childhood sexual trauma. I think one in four people on average have some level of sexual trauma. It's huge and it impacts their lives greatly, their self-esteem, their relationships, the way they show up to themselves. It can really diminish one sense of value. I mean, being raped. And so it, it comes up tremendously in a lot. And there's points, you know, often in the journey and I, I recommend one-to-one -one journeys for dealing with out of world trauma is that entire memory and the entire gestalt of experience that sometimes they've been repressing for decades can come up at once. And so the journey can be excruciatingly painful. I mean, I've seen like the deepest just agonies, you know, like just like, oh, this is, they're at the threshold of tolerable pain, but that pain was just stored in their body already, you know, very kind of somatic psychotherapy approach of trauma is just stored in the body. And so it's being released. 
the outcomes are amazing. I've seen people stop addictions overnight, so continue to bring into partnerships, really kind of that tension that their body was holding because the trauma can quickly dissipate potentially. And they live much, and I've talked to these people sometimes years after that their lives have radically changed, you know, but it, it's, it's not, I'd say easy on anybody's part. I, I tend to have, I have a capacity I can hold a lot, you know, emotionally. I'm a four on the Enneagram. It's just, it's just more comfortable for me, I think, than a lot of people. But for the person experiencing it, they have to be willing to sometimes face their nightmares and fears, you know, things that have happened in all the darkness so that it can be processed and clear. And so then a very embodied and in a great way, they can actually have a really good, more pleasant life. Um, so... I'm glad we're bringing it in because we can easily spend the entire talk on these transpersonal experiences and bringing the insights and integrating them. But so much of it is also integrating the dark and more difficult aspects of our life and our past. Um, as I mentioned, it's more than often than not the bulk of my work is dealing with trauma. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and trauma means just, just people may not know what that means. I'm going to break it down and say it's there's a piece of the past that's living in our body and making us feel like that's happening right now at the present moment. Because I was hurt and betrayed and abused in the past, my system doesn't know how to trust right now because it's holding onto those emotions and pain that it's gonna happen because to your body, it's almost as if it is happening right now because it's still stuck there. So that's trauma that they can't release the past fully and not in any fault of their own. That's just how the body kind of survived. Why, why repression? Otherwise, it wouldn't have been able to really move forward in life very well. So we can clear that now so they can really kind of make the most of the life they have left. Yeah, that's a helpful definition. And I think one of the things I've heard come up quite a lot is um, trauma to people can get re-traumatized. Oh, yeah. So uh, a, a powerful psychedelic experience may not actually heal a trauma. It can just traumatize you. And... Um, Someone came to stay with me and she had been doing some training in something called Havening and it was invented by Paul McKenna. You, nodding, do you know this? Yeah. No, I, I just went through a few months of Havening. I went to a therapist and we did Havening for several months. So yeah, I very love that. So what, what that entails, as far as I can remember, what she was saying is you sort of, while you're exploring a traumatic event with somebody, you sort of stroke the palms of their hands and parts of their face like where you would stroke a child's you know your own child's face to calm them down and that actually soothes your whole nervous system so that when you bring up this painful um, event uh, you're bringing it up into a, a place of peace and love and that kind of thing so you're not actually embedding it further um mm. Yes, I mean, as I say, I'm not a trauma expert at all. And that's just something that came to my mind when you were, were, were talking about this. I mean, is there anything mm -hmm. you could say to elaborate about this kind of re-traumatizing versus bringing the trauma into a, yeah. a, a yeah. healing? Uh, absolutely, you know, and I'll start with, you know, just even why the process of something is of, of havening would work moving to the re-traumatizing i mean so one way you can see it is the trauma is fragmented parts of ourselves that haven't been integrated right that are still having pain and generally i like the model because i think it's helpful that we have some level of an inner child or inner infant you know and that that's where a lot of the trauma happened during that time of age but also it's the part of ourselves that is largely emotional less rational can throw tantrums but also kind of withdraw and collapse and so on 
So this part of us is a coming up that normally feels the trauma, the very strongly emotional part of us needs to be soothed, right? It needs to be soothed. It's in pain, it's in distress, it's, it's scared. And so if you think about an infant, two-year-old, one-year-old, if it's in if it's in panic and fear, you can't rationally talk to it into feeling better. It just it will have no you know, result in it whatsoever. I'm like, hey, your, your fears are silly right now. There's nothing going on. Don't be scared. It's not going to matter to a baby that's crying. It needs to be helped. It needs to be soothed. It, it learns regulation from your body. If you're anxious, you'll pass on anxiety, you know, because you're telling the baby it's scary. But if your system's calm and relaxed and is loving and gentling and is holding it very well, that transfers, that energy and the touch transfers to the infant and regulates its nervous system. As adults, we're still wired. We grew out of that wiring. We're still wired somewhat the same way. You know, we can self-regulate a little bit better and we can tell ourselves everything's okay, but touch goes tremendously much deeper, goes right to the subconscious, right to the most primal animal parts of us and lets us, assures us and helps us feel love and really kind of dies down that maybe we're safe. And so you're bringing in a practice that tells our body, so direct contact with our being, that everything's okay and that you're loved in the midst of having this freak out. So it really kind of calms and brings nurturance to those parts of us that are feeling unnurtured or scared or alone. You know? And so kind of taking this idea that we need some level of connection and we can do it with ourselves, you know, or somebody else could do it with us in levels of trauma and how incredibly helpful that is. That also comes up for every other state of trauma. And so if somebody's in a very traumatic state and they're alone, it can be re-traumatizing because that part needs connection. You know, so I, uh, one of my Hakomi instructors, so I did two years of somatic psychotherapy training, you know, and this guy had been working the field for 40 years. He says, the difference between a trauma and a difficult experience is if we felt alone in the process. So if I felt alone, whether it's a rape or there's a war or something and I'm alone and I'm freaked out and feeling disconnected, that turns into a trauma. But if I'm deeply connected with my family and a lover, it just becomes a difficult experience. So it's the experience of connection that really helps us kind of digest pain. And so if somebody's in a trauma state, somebody empathizing with them, being kind of one with them or resonating or just handle it just like, here, I'm here with you. So you're not alone in your pain, takes away almost half the pain and helps them be able to digest the experience much easier. That being said, maybe the worst way that this could be re-traumatizing or one of the harder ones is if the person in the space that's with you, whether it's a friend, a stranger, or even a therapist, if they're not trustworthy, right, or if they make you feel less safe, that could be deeply re-traumatizing. So, for example, say you have a history of uh, somebody sexually crossing your boundaries, but that's coming up and you're feeling very sexual because that's what was repressed in terms of your sexuality. You're going through the session, your sexuality is coming up. And then the therapist or the friend crosses your sexual boundaries. I mean, it's deeply re-traumatizing, right? So that could be tremendously worse, you know, or you have a feeling of being abandoned and you're going to fear and fear shaking you're being abandoned and the person's not present and they leave the room. I mean, deeply you're traumatizing, you know, or somebody crossing your boundaries, I don't like to be touched and that you're touched. Or it's just so many things that kind of might reinforce the trauma of like, here I am, I'm not met again, or here I am, I'm not respected again, you know? So there's a lot of ways. So it depends so much on the individual in the room, you know? And, and so they can go through a lot of training and still not be there. And, and possible it's, it's just so spending time with the person whoever you're going to be with to know if you can trust them is, is I think important and so I think that's where sometimes preparation sessions can be very helpful and if you're going to have the preparation the journey with somebody there whether it's a sitter or a guide or therapist to spend at least two meetings if not more getting to know them 
have two hours, one hour of preparation one week, another hour of preparation another week before even going through the journey. Do I feel safe with this person? Do I feel seen? Do I feel held? All these things are going to bring medicine, you know, or do I feel the opposite? You know, if you're, if they're in the room and you feel less safe with them in the room, that's going to be a very painful experience. You're going to withhold from going deeper because you're not feeling safe. If you don't feel safe, everything goes out the window. They should allow you to feel even safer than if you were alone, you know? So to answer it more directly, it so much comes down to the person that you're in the room with. And that being said, I've gotten in cycles journeying alone. And I know I've shared this before where you can move through, through tremendous pain, but it could be a type of pain and fear that you really need somebody there. And this, if you're alone, it could be re-traumatized, you know? So like, fuck, I'm always alone or bring up feelings of abandonment or, you know, there's times you might get into that. You think you're going to die, but you think it's real. And now you're in panic state of thinking you're actually going to die. And that's a very uncomfortable, maybe four or five hours. That can in your body doesn't know the difference. It thinks it's real. So that trauma stays in your body as if you were being shot at. Yeah. Yeah. Is is there anything do you think we haven't covered? I mean, of course, there's there's millions of things we haven't covered. Yeah. <laughs> our piece of art that's just uh, you know, uh, yeah. I've always I love the metaphor is that you know, every painting in the museums an unfinished piece of painting at some point the artist just had to call it quits because you can go on forever and i spent a lot of time writing poetry and each poem i mean I, it could been a 10 12 30 pages long i could just keep writing and it keeps continuing the story and the format and at some point i'm like the energy i just has to come to a completion right it just or else i'm just so i can start something else and do something else it just has to come to an end and to be able to offer it to a world and I think that's also how we are as an individual. We're forever unfinished and being painted. You know, it's, it's this continual process of growth that's never ending. And I think we can become our best form of art. You know, our personality and our life itself is, is the greatest masterpiece I think we'll ever do consciously or unconsciously. Um, so in that sense, the topic of integration can go on forever. It's continually evolving. New people bring new elements into it. I'm glad for the last several years it's becoming a bigger topic. And for a lot of people, it's... Um, they hear the word, they don't even know what it means. So hopefully I think we've done some headway of bringing some framework towards it, defining it, practices towards it, deeper understanding of it. That's cool, that's a really good place to end. So in terms of people finding out more about your work and um, mm. yeah, first, first of all, I just wanna say thank you very much for coming on again and yeah. this wisdom. Um, you know, you've, got a, you've got a great deal of experience in this field and uh, I just wish I could have had this conversation with you uh, when I was first getting into this stuff it would have saved me a ton of um, unnecessary pain. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah. that's my hope for having this conversation is that some totally. people will listen to this and, and it'll, you know, you can't, you can't avoid pain. You can't avoid difficult experiences. It's all part of it, as we were saying, you know, that's how we grow. Um, but there is such a thing as unnecessary pain. Uh, unnecessary suffering um so hopefully yeah. we've uh you know kind of um help people out in that, on that in that respect so, if people want to find out more about your stuff um totally you? totally no thanks i'm gonna grab a copy of the book real quick just mm -hmm. to show it so people can see it it's called the uh, the psilocybin connection a psychedelics to transformation of consciousness evolution of the planet integral approach 
uh, just came out. It's across on all platforms, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, Target. It's by Penguin, uh, the publisher's North Atlantic Books, distributor of Penguin Random House, um, so the largest distributor on the planet. So it should be able to, available everywhere. The audiobook will be out on May 31st of this year. So I definitely put what was somewhat like 20 years of research into it, but it five years of focused writing as my dissertation. Uh, my website's um, psychedelicevolution.org. You can see my services, other talks I've done. Um, yeah, yeah. More than anything, I, I want to give people the book because it's, um, as the publisher said, the most comprehensive text on the subject of psilocybin mushrooms. I did a deep history, everything in the present, and kind of how it can leave us, move us forward individually and collectively. Yeah, when it comes out on audiobook, I'm getting it straight away. Are you are you reading it yourself or? Uh... I've read it twice since I got the copy. I mean, oh, I've been waiting no, many no, years no, to hold it. Reading it aloud. Oh the... yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we had you know, I think Nathaniel Agent. We had um a uh, an audition, and the, the publisher did, and I got to hear five different people's auditions, and one of them was clearly the best, so much better than the rest. So I really, I was like, please, I really want this guy, and we got him. Um, so it's definitely the kind of voice I'm like I'd, I'd listen to anything you're talking about you know I mean the narrator can make or break it and so I think he did a superb job um, and it's 10 hours long and it's already complete I think they're just finishing the editing process before they put it online right um, I'm, yeah as soon as that comes out I'm getting that for sure man um, okay so Johan thank you very much I made all the music that I use in my podcasts. If you'd like to hear more of my music, please visit SoundCloud and check out my profile, Ralph Cree.